What's up, everybody? We are live with the awesome FanDuel DFS Week 5 show. I am Matt Gajewski, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Kyle Dvorak. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajewski. You can follow him at Kyle Tweets here. Before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit that notification bell. That way you know when this video and all other content goes live. It is the best way to support Kyle, myself, and the entire Osmo crew. And of course, hit that thumbs up button. Let's see how many we can get today. We are talking FanDuel, FanDuel-specific DFS show. Of course, the big news with the week is what are we going to get with the Tennessee Titans and the Buffalo Bills situation? And Kyle, it is not looking good. It was a game I was actually really interested to stack as a contrarian approach to the slate. And rumors right now, looks like this game could be moved to Monday or Tuesday. Any idea what is going on here? Yeah, it would be, frankly, at the rate we've seen consistently. Every, I mean, there was a two-day stretch. I wrote about this game, like, multiple sites. I was like, guys, Bills, it's Bills' season. And uh, unsurprisingly, Titans go and do Titan things. They had two days. I think it was probably Monday, Tuesday, where they had no players return positive tests. I was like, oh, well, that's it. We've seen the end of the stream of, of positives flowing in. God, that has not been the case. I don't, I would bet anything we don't see this on the main slate. You know, in your season-long leagues, I've set up all of my leagues where you get to name an alternate. Don't play these guys in DFS. I don't know why, like, there's no reason to bet on this game happening. It simply doesn't look like it's going to happen, at least on the main slate. It'd be, it'll be be a fun showdown slate if we get it, but there also won't be great prize pools. So, not happy with these GD Titans. I miss my bills. <laughs> I hear you, man. And we're talking about this game because we like to start off the FanDuel stream, of course, talking about news throughout the week. And honestly, there's not a ton of really impactful news right now. Just a few of our marquee players that are injured, maybe coming in as game time decisions. So the real news coming to this point was what was going on with the Titans bills. Keep your eye on that right now. It doesn't look great. As far as some of those stars that we might not see this week and are, we're at least waiting for game time to see what happens. Julio Jones is one. He actually got in some individual work today, which was a surprise to me. He aggravated his hamstring injury on Monday night. So I was anticipating Julio missing a week and us getting Alameda Zacchaeus. He's not as cheap on FanDuel specifically, but it looks like Julio actually has a chance to play. Outside of him, I'm not noticing a ton of injuries. What do you make of Julio and then anyone else we should keep our eye on? Yeah, Julio is definitely one to keep an eye on. At the beginning of the week, I didn't actually think he was had like a good chance at all at playing. Now at this point, it does seem like it seems like he probably will play or at least have a good chance of playing compared to the beginning of the week where I thought there was no way. Let's look. We've got okay, so this is one that is uh disappointing because another player I've really got uh, excited to talk about and have talked about, written about a lot. Raheem Mostert got in a limited practice on Wednesday. Earlier in the week, Kyle Shanahan said that it didn't look great for his chances of playing, but a limited practice on Wednesday is typically a pretty good sign. Jarek McKinnon smash week was going to be fun. I'm not sure, uh, not sure you really want to get any interest in him until we at least see one week of McKinnon plus Mostert as their starting tandem or, you know, they, the duo of backs that they run. Lamar Jackson didn't practice, hasn't practiced yet, at, you know, this week. I think it is just, you know, you don't really need Lamar Jackson to practice every single week. He's great regardless, but two missed practices, uh, I believe it's a knee injury or uh, that's what they're calling it at least, is concerning. It's definitely worth monitoring. I would still bet heavily that he plays, but you have to consider if they are really blowing out Cincinnati, which is the expectation, 
does he get pulled for like the entirety of the fourth quarter? Maybe that's something you factor in, maybe not, but it would be in the range of outcomes that we do see Lamar Jackson play three smashing quarters and just not get there because he doesn't play an entire quarter of football. We saw that come close to happening. This could be of, I think we saw probably maybe three or four games of RG3 last year, at least where he gets a snap or two. This maybe is the most run from RG3 possible, which is a little concerning. Yeah, we definitely need to monitor Lamar throughout the week. It was interesting. The Ravens beat was pretty con- confident that Lamar was just missing practice for maintenance reasons, but obviously the two DMPs in a row, big red flag, we'll certainly need to watch him. I dug into some quotes on the Raheem Mostert, Jarek McKinnon situation. It seems like Raheem Mostert could be on a pitch count, even if active. I think that gives some outside consideration to Jarek McKinnon in GPPs. He's cheap across all sites right now. On FanDuel specifically, you can get him at 6400 And he's been a monster through the two games Raheem Mostert has missed. So I don't know, maybe an outside consideration in GPPs, even if we get Raheem Mostert back. A couple other injuries of note, we might see Henry Ruggs take the field, and that's an interesting matchup with a really high total. Las Vegas should certainly be throwing against the Chiefs. We have Kareem Hunt. He's logging limited sessions. We don't expect Kareem Hunt to miss this game for any reason, but similar to last week, I think Cleveland might limit him a little bit in game, potentially leading to, I don't know, eight to 10 touches for Dearness Johnson. They're already a team running a ton of ton of just running back plays overall, just carries on the ground, which might lead to some extra Dearness Johnson time. Outside of that, Drew Locke might return to, to this game. It looks like he's returned to practice in a limited fashion, not, Huge news there. Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson this Wednesday could be a maintenance day, but just something to keep your eye on. Anything else, catch your eye. Yeah, do you find it weird at all that Juju and Deontay missed despite getting extra week off? Uh, any concern for you on those guys? I find that to be a little strange. Yeah, that's why I threw it on there. I believe yeah, Deontay yeah. Johnson was dealing with, I think it was a toe injury. He didn't just have the concussion. I know the concussion's what ruled him out mm-hmm. of their week three game, but Deontay Johnson was banged up before that as well. Yeah, I just think that's interesting. I still expect when you like, you know, unless you're like full not practice through Friday, you're probably going to play like all of these players are, you know, veterans to some extent of the NFL. They get some rest. You want, you know, one week or one you know day or two days of practice is probably worth less than the actual physical recovery that not practicing nets them. But, you know, interesting to note, certainly worth considering in some of these situations more than others. Like Kareem Hunt, we saw last week, I believe it was 13 carries for Dearness Johnson, you know, former AAF stud. It is interesting to note that Kareem Hunt came into that game with a groin injury. They lost Nick Chubb, and they immediately thought, let's give Dearness Johnson some run. It wasn't like he was – I think he did lead the team in carries, but he didn't lead the team in, like, you know, running back scoring, for instance. So maybe Kareem Hunt gets some work siphoned off. I still think he's probably a good play this week, but it's worth considering. Yeah, I like Kareem Hunt too. Even if he's a little bit limited, he should still see a large amount of carries there. Well, that is most of the injury news and, of course, the Titans-Bills situation. We will keep our eye on this. Of course, check back throughout the week for more shows. You'll get all your updated information. But let's move over to the quarterback position. The game plan today is to move through the FanDuel slate position by position, talk some ownership, start with chalky plays, and then move through some low-owned leverage plays. At quarterback, we're seeing similar ownership to DraftKings. It is Dak Prescott. It is Patrick Mahomes. It is Deshaun Watson. Big difference between the FanDuel slate and the DraftKings slate. FanDuel's pricing is a little bit flatter. On DraftKings, you see a couple quarterbacks priced way up near the 8K range, guys like Lamar Jackson, guys like Dak. And then the minimum price, we have Kyle Allen, and he's 4,100. On FanDuel, Kyle Allen is 6K flat. 
and we get Patrick Mahomes and Dak at 8,700 and 9K respectively. So we're not seeing that huge price difference. Are you more likely to eat chalk in the context of the FanDuel slate here with Prescott and Mahomes coming in around 17 to 18% ownership? Yeah, for me, I'm not incredibly interested in Patrick Mahomes this week, but I am quite fine eating chalk with Dak Prescott. I don't love doing it. I think Zeke is also a great play, but I think but like a lot of my lines are either going to be built based on, you know, using Zeke as a pivot off of some of the chalky Cowboys or just eating that Cowboys chalk and trying to get different. And it does largely funnel down to what you said about the pricing structure. My opportunity cost isn't nearly as great. Like even, I guess I'm probably not playing Kyle Allen in tournaments, but in cash, you actually do have to at least throw the name out there and consider what is it, what does a roster build look like when I can pay nearly half the price for Kyle Allen compared to a Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes? It's like just over half the price, essentially. That conversation just doesn't even come close to happening on FanDuel. So I'm much more inclined to pay up to that mid to high price range. And it makes it easier too, because across, you know, all scoring formats, whether, you know, whether it's the three point bonuses for 100 or 300 yards, half PPR or not, you've really needed to get a Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen in your lineups. I think Matt Ryan was probably pretty good one week as well, but you've needed to get one of the predictably high scoring quarterbacks and Fandle's pricing much more pushes you in that direction. I'm not going to swim against that trend. I'm probably going with a lot of someone like Dak. Yeah, I love Dak. I mean, the matchup against New York, and it's not even so much who they're facing. It's Dallas's defense themselves just being so banged up. They can't stop anyone. Right now, just looking at their defense, they have Leighton Van Der Esch, Sean Lee, Anthony Brown, Shadobe Awuzie, all on injured reserve. Those are two of their top corners. It makes a lot of sense why teams have been able to rack up so many points on Dallas and they just have to play from behind, try to catch up. Dak, combined with Ezekiel Elliott, Mari Cooper, Gallup, and C.D. Lamb, that is exactly the stable of weapons I would want to do so. So Dak makes a lot of sense, even as the highest-owned quarterback. Someone else coming in with some pretty decent ownership, despite some poor play to start the year, is Deshaun Watson. And it's not so much Deshaun Watson, but the Texans have disappointed themselves. We know they let go of their head coach. Deshaun Watson is a little bit cheaper than Dak and Mahomes, about 1K price gap here on FanDuel. And he's coming in with a fraction of the ownership to right around 12%. Are you interested in Deshaun Watson at all with the new coaching staff? I'm not sure what to make of this. Yeah, I've heard rumors that potentially Romeo Cornell being a defensive guy could lean on the run a bit more. They've already like they haven't really unleashed Deshaun Watson. And and maybe it's because he isn't playing quite as well as he did last year. But frankly, there's no reason you should be giving as many carries as they do to David Johnson when you're 0-4. You know, you should be trying to run the air raid offense if you have Deshaun Watson and you're 0-4. I don't think the coaching change makes a a huge difference. They were coached suboptimally before, and I think they're probably coached suboptimally as well this time. But I don't think that's, you know, that means there's essentially no difference. And maybe it just means that, you know, the the ceiling or the floor, I guess, is the expectation. But there's a chance that coaching change could mean something better for this team because it's hard to see it being worse, you know. So I don't love Deshaun Watson this week. I actually think in the same game I'd be much more interested in or at least relative to the ownership more interested in a guy like Gardner Minshew, like both sides of the matchup are great. And I think I would just attack a guy who's going to be lower owned, but in a similar spot. And it does sort of tap into that Deshaun Watson upside because Gardner Minshew to go off likely needs Deshaun Watson to have a good enough game. I think the target concentration on specifically Will Fuller and the air yards concentration on Will Fuller makes me interested in mixing and matching Minshew stacks and just always running that back with Will Fuller. I don't think Watson is a bad play. I just think a pivot in the same game makes a lot of sense for my builds. There's a lot to like about Houston. 
they're seventh in seconds per play, but they've only been able to get off the 31st most plays in the NFL. So it speaks to how quickly they're running, but their lack of efficiency. I'm not sure if getting Bill O'Brien out of the picture is going to change that. One thing I think that could help is just the matchup against Jacksonville. They're allowing 8.3 yards per pass attempt. That's the third most in the NFL. So it is certainly one of the better matchups Deshaun Watson has faced. And he has certainly not had the easiest schedule to start the year. But as we move down the price tier, we are seeing a lot of the expensive quarterbacks come in with the higher ownership on FanDuel. It leads to some interesting leverage spots. We have a favorite of mine in particular, Joe Burrow, coming in less than 1% owned. Now, it's not exactly Joe Burrow's easiest matchup of the year. We just saw them take on the Jaguars last week. And now this week we get Cincinnati taking on Baltimore. However, this Baltimore team just allowed two consecutive 300-yard passing games, one of which came to Dwayne Haskins, who now is apparently the third quarterback in Washington. Any interest in Burrow and the Cincinnati team for leverage? Yeah, my, my only problem with Burrow would be I'm not sure he has like the same touchdown upside necessarily as a Gardner Minshew or Daniel Jones who we have on our list as some, uh, some leverage plays because although I agree, the Baltimore defense is definitely not what they were last year. Basically, anytime you name a really good defense from last year, you can almost blanket statements say that they're not as good as they were because defensive production is so hard to maintain year over year. It's quite unsticky relative to offensive production, for instance. So the Baltimore Ravens defense, not, I don't think, as much of world beaters as they were last year, but they're still quite good. And Joe Burrow hasn't been awfully efficient this year. He's thrown the ball a ton. That's helped him get there in spots, and he has some rushing equity. I'm not sure if that gives him a multi-touchdown game, and especially on Vandal where I'm stacking and I need my guys to score as many touchdowns as possible. They can't quite get there with, you know, the 300 or the receivers can't get there with the 100-yard bonus. I'm more trying to seek out good touchdown spots. I think I would probably rather eat, you know, the $600 more in the significant ownership bump with Deshaun Watson or go for a smaller ownership bump, but a slight price decrease in a guy like Gardner Minshew. Even Daniel Jones kind of falls in that range, but Daniel Jones is probably actually bad, right? I do think Joe Burrow is good. He hasn't been awfully efficient this year, but I think his upside is being a good NFL quarterback. Honestly, I don't know if Daniel Jones has that in him at this point. That's a really interesting point. You bring up Daniel Jones, and if we look to ownership across DraftKings and FanDuel, this is one of the largest discrepancies between the two platforms. Daniel Jones is a top five owned quarterback on DraftKings. On FanDuel, I'm guessing this is mainly because of a looser pricing structure. Daniel Jones doesn't appear in the top five most owned quarterbacks. He's sitting sub 5% ownership on FanDuel, and it makes me at least interested. We talked about Dallas being really bad on defense. The Giants have faced one of the toughest schedules in all of football to start the year. They face the Steelers, the Bears, the 49ers, and the Rams. Now they get a Dallas team, which is a complete sieve on defense. The game is totaled for 54 points. And if you're trying to stack Daniel Jones, who's just 7K flat himself, you can find Darius Slayton at 5,800. You can find Evan Ingram, Golden Tate, 5,500 for each of them. Am I crazy or should we be fading Daniel Jones? I don't, I would not blame anyone for fading a quarterback who has been undoubtedly bad through four weeks. And there's really not, I guess you could point to the defensive matchup, but we've seen time and time again that the defensive matchup isn't the only thing a mediocre quarterback needs to be good. Like everything has to fall in place. So I would not blame you at all for moving that. I was looking through our ownership. Uh, you can see sub 5% Josh Allen. One thing I will note, I saw some rumors that Cam Newton could return. He essentially needs, I think, back-to-back days of, of negative test results is the thing. It would be interesting because I would imagine his ownership would get so low because you're not going to be, if you're making a lineup today, you're not playing Cam Newton. It would be interesting to see. I actually didn't see that. That's a really interesting note. I would be interested in Cam Newton in that spot as well against Denver. They should handle the Broncos pretty well there. 
Let's talk fades then before we head out of the quarterback position. It sounds like you are not too fond of Daniel Jones, someone that I'm actually actually a little bit interested in targeting in, in this spot. If I'm looking to fade someone, one player in particular that kind of caught my eye in sort of a no man's land in pricing and ownership is Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray was a really interesting play when the season opened up and he was priced as on FanDuel specifically in the mid seven Ks, we could get his rushing upside at a cheap price there, but Kyler Murray's really struggled as a passer. He's averaging just 6.4 yards per attempt. That's 26th in the NFL. And it's really limited some of his options in the receiving game. For example, Deandre Hopkins had nine targets last week and he only caught seven balls for 41 yards. They're playing the jets. There's always going to be upside against the Jets, but we've really seen teams just handle the Jets, take their starters out, and it's kind of tapped the upside of these signal callers. Where are you at with a guy like Murray who is in this middle range kind of in pricing, in ownership, and is there anyone else you'd like to fade? Yeah, so Murray, I I really like Kyler Murray, but one, his style of play or the style of play that his offense has run him into, I'm not sure exactly, you know, chicken or the egg situation, one of the lowest ADOTs in the league, one of the lowest, I believe maybe the lowest yards per completion in the league because they just run the horizontal air rate. So you do get a, a good rushing floor from Kyler Murray, but the ceiling game as a passer, I'm just not sure if it's in him. And of course, playing the Jets this week, you're not getting like Joe, like imagine Joe Flacco coming out and actually being able to put up enough points to make this game a shootout. I can't envision it happening so for me Kyler Murray probably an easy fade because there are options you know I know they're gonna be chalkier but Kyler Murray an easy fade when I can get you know a Joe Burrow a Deshaun Watson in a game where Deshaun Watson's game looks like it should be somewhat competitive in terms of both offenses being able to score we know the Ravens can score if I'm rostering Joe Burrow that you know plays on the assumption that he can score I don't see it happening with the Jets facing off against Kyler Murray. And for a similar reason, Patrick Mahomes is a guy who at high ownership, high price, I'm probably just not going to be as much on because I don't think, you know, you really do need the Raiders to come out and keep contending with them. And you need Clyde Edwards-Hilaire not to vulture the first few touchdowns because if they get to an early lead, you could very much see a scenario where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just runs out the second half and Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to drop back a ton. In tournaments, I'm just looking for games that teams are going back and forth scoring at will. Not sure we see that with Vegas. I am sure we don't see that with the Jets. I think that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like we're in lockstep with that game. Before we move on to the running back position, guys, we have showdown tonight. Tampa Bay's taking on the Chicago Bears. We've added some great new tools to our NFL Express Pass. For only $3.95, you can purchase an NFL Weekly Express Pass, which now includes everything you need for NFL showdown and single game contest formats. You now get access to Osmo Showdown single game player projections, ownership projections, and top plays tool when you purchase this pass, in addition to player rankings, lineup builder light, ownership rankings, and the top stacks express tool. It's our best offering ever for an express pass. So head over to Osmo.com backslash join today to purchase your 395 NFL Express Pass. We have a ton of stuff going on at Osmo, including Showdown today. We have free rankings. So if you're checking out this Tampa Bay team who's dealing with a ton of injuries, you're not sure who's going to step up and play, you can head over to Osmo.com. Check out the free NFL Showdown rankings, a great resource for tonight specifically. We also have MLB player projections, PGA Top Golfers tool. That is all free today. I think it's going to be a fantastic game between the Buccaneers and the Bears, and the injuries only make it a little more interesting, so check it out. As we move on to the running back position, Kyle, we have a one and only Mike Davis essentially playing 
the Christian McCaffrey role in Carolina coming in with the most ownership, basically across platforms this week. Is Mike Davis a trap? I don't think Mike Davis is a trap. I mean, if he was up at, you know, 7.5K, if he was up at 8K, sure. You could say, you know, in any scenario, what is he, like a career backup running back who, you know, was was almost certainly not going to have a single, like, single touch in any game that Chris McCaffrey is healthy. You could say a player of that ilk would be a trap at, you know, 8K. He's only 6.8. The ownership is going to be high, and maybe that's why you get off him, because if he doesn't find the end zone, he probably doesn't end up making the optimal lineup. Are his odds of finding the end zone quite good, given his massive receiving role and very solid rushing role, plus no Reggie Bonifon, who had 10 carries, I believe, and two catches last week. They do look good. It does look like he will probably find the end zone. But because we are so heavily tilting ourselves towards touchdowns, especially on FanDuel, I don't think you have to play Chalk Mike Davis. I think there are other spots, still some chalky and some not, that you can pivot off of the highest owned running back of the slate. Yeah, this is a really interesting dichotomy between DraftKings. On DraftKings, we have Mike Davis, who is slightly cheaper than a James Robinson. On FanDuel, we actually get James Robinson slightly cheaper than Mike Davis. And I actually think the style of FanDuel's platform, which really rewards touchdown scoring over, you know, it's a half-point PPR league, but it's really rewarding those running backs that score not quite as much the running backs that have the role in the receiving game. Are you interested in taking about a 10% ownership break for a guy like James Robinson over Mike Davis, or maybe are these two guys you're looking to play in the same lineup? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's quite shocking to play those two guys in the same lineup. I think just on Vandal, which will be a different approach as I have on DraftKings, I'm actually probably just going to be not full fading Mike Davis. I'm going to be below the field on him because that is such an immense ownership when there are good pivots. You talk about James Robinson being 400 cheaper. I get that they're underdogs this week, and the line has actually moved slightly in their favor. They're still pretty big underdogs. But James Robinson is a guy who I would have thought is a good player on a team that is favored, so probably not very often. That simply hasn't been the case. His past three weeks, four targets, six targets, four targets, and he's caught all but one of those. He's being used as a receiver. He's obviously being used as a rusher. He has like 364 carries, almost 2,000 yards in his final college season. I don't want to say James Robinson is game script proof, but he might be game script proof. His game has a very good total. Like I think James Robinson is absolutely for both cheaper in terms of ownership and cheaper in terms of actual salary cost a great pivot off of Mike Davis. I think so too. And as we keep looking through the higher owned running backs on FanDuel, again, we're seeing a lot of the expensive plays. We just don't have as many salary restrictions on a platform like FanDuel. So we get players like Ezekiel Elliott, who's one of the most expensive players on the entire slate. He's north of 30% ownership right now. You mentioned potentially liking Ezekiel Elliott as a pivot off some of the other high owned Dallas plays. So I'll give you the floor on this one. Yeah, it's simply this, that it seems like no matter what is uh, what happens in a Cowboys game, there is going to be a massive amount of points, whether it means that they get down early and have to come back, whether it means they play in a competitive game. Dallas games are going to feature points, and that's going to lead to a lot of ownership across the board. But anytime Ezekiel Elliott scores, assuming it isn't a receiving score, which for him is possible, but much less likely than a rushing score, that is touchdowns he takes directly away from chalk plays like Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, and so forth. So I like that way of approaching essentially any high total game that I'm not as excited about. I don't know if Daniel Jones can quite turn this into a game where you want to double stack Dak and run it back on the other side. Do I think the Dallas defense is bad enough that Daniel Jones can keep a close enough game that it's good for a fantasy environment? Yeah, probably. But that doesn't make me want to double or triple stack this game. It just makes me want to get one-offs. I think one of the ways you can gain leverage with your one-offs is find players who can go off without the entire game going off. 
any running back who's going to carry, you know, 20 plus times a game has that potential. So both Ezekiel Elliott and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire are chalky spots. I would rather get in on than Mike Davis, who's going to be more popular. He's cheaper and has probably a better points per dollar projection. But that ownership is really difficult to get on. I like Zeke and Edwards-Hilaire in their spots in their respective games, and they're both touchdown regression candidates. PFF has them as the two lowest touchdown, you know, touchdown over expectation or touchdown versus expectation players based on their usage. And even Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's usage as a receiver has been good, but hasn't come up in the touchdown department. So these are guys, if they score two, three times, they really bury the the Patrick Mahomes and the Dak stacks. That gives you great leverage. And obviously not only does it give you leverage, it gives you a ton of fantasy points. For sure. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a name you brought up as a regression candidate. Usually this is a spot where I'm trying to target players that are going to bounce back at low ownership. We are not getting that with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, even at an elevated price tag of 7,900 on FanDuel. And it does make sense when you take a a bird's eye view of Clyde Edwards Hilaire's stats. He's averaging 21.25 opportunities per game. That's carries plus targets. And the receiving role for him has been quietly one of the better ones in the league for running backs target counts of two, eight, six, and three in his four games running around on 59% of Patrick Mahomes dropbacks. Then you factor in the potential game script in a game versus Las Vegas, where they are nearly two touchdown favorites. A lot sets up for Clyde Edwards Hilaire here. And I, it sounds like Kyle and I are making the argument to eat some chalk at running back this week on FanDuel specifically. And that's certainly an approach I'm going to be looking to take. As we start getting into some leverage plays on FanDuel, you know, some of the bell cow backs are in tough spots. Joe Mixon, who we just saw an amazing game from last week, he's going to Baltimore. We have Jonathan Taylor going up against an impressive Cleveland Browns defense. We have Miles Sanders taking on Pittsburgh in a low total game who also has a really strong defense. So leverage is kind of hard and it's going to be tricky. Is there anyone you're looking to specifically as a low owned play at the running back position? Yeah, I think I think Miles Sanders is probably the one I am most interested in. We have just seen week in and week out. They continue to target him as a receiver. And although FanDuel obviously doesn't give you the full point for PPR, that does also increase your touchdown and yardage totals. It's not a bad thing to be a receiver, even though it's not quite as beneficial on FanDuel. Miles Sanders, I know he's expensive at 7,500, but that is probably a massive contributor to why he's being so low owned. He basically has like the exact same role as Mike Davis. You know, it's very similar. Their projections should be spot on. You pay a few, you know, a few hundred dollars more, but you get a 30% ownership discount for a similar player. The game environment isn't quite as good, but I also think Pittsburgh, at least maybe the Eagles, but definitely Pittsburgh is capable of putting up points on offense. So that's one of the key factors in stacking a game or just playing players in a game. Like I don't want to play any players that play in a Jets game. I can see Philadelphia putting up some points, even though it's a difficult defense, they put up points, you know, some points against a difficult defense in San Francisco. It was a a scrappy game, but they got there. I think people are just underestimating how much Miles Sanders workload really does give him both a great floor and a great ceiling. It's an ugly spot, but at the ownership, I think it's worth going to as a contrarian pivot. I don't hate the spot, actually. You and I have talked privately a little bit about this game. There are two teams that like to try to run a lot of plays here. Pittsburgh's eighth in place per game in Philadelphia. They're not the most efficient team, but they're 11th in seconds per play. If these teams can get over some of the better defenses here, I think we could see this game go over the total. I don't know if it has the same ceiling as maybe a Dallas-New York Giants game, but there's at least the, the ancillary stats to indicate this game could go over the total makes me somewhat interested in Miles Sanders too. I am still interested in Jonathan Taylor here as the Colts are slight favorites over the Cleveland Browns. Jonathan Taylor's a little more, more owned than a guy like Sanders, but he's a little less expensive. I think whoever is leading in that game is going to try to pound the run. 
It's a one and a half point spread in favor of Indianapolis right now. So this game really could go either way, which brings me to Kareem Hunt. We talked about him at the beginning of the show, potentially dealing with an injury. Are you worried about that at all? Or are we good to target Kareem Hunt at the running back position? Yeah, it's a slight concern. Like, I won't say that, I, you know, I don't. Uh, every once in a while when I wake up in the mornings, think like, I wonder what Darius Johnson is up to. But they gave Kareem, <laughs> they gave Kareem Hunt the extension in the offseason. And despite having what, you know, film grinders will say is probably one of, if not the two, you know, probably him and Derek Henry were cited as the two most just effective, efficient, and talented runners between the tackles. They still split Nick Chubb's work with Kareem Hunt. That tells me their actions tell me a lot about how they think about Kareem Hunt the only concern really is that groin injury. Like, I don't think if we have 100% healthy Kareem Hunt, there's any chance he seeds more than like a handful of carries, two or three, your typical backup carries to a guy like Dearness Johnson. The groin injury has me a bit concerned, but also they weren't playing in an awfully competitive game. I know the box score, Dallas brought it close last week, but for a large portion of the middle of the game, they were pretty much having their way with the Dallas Cowboys. So it would make sense that you would want to get, you know, get Kareem Hunt off the field, especially once you find out that at least Nick Chubb probably didn't look like he was going to return that game or anytime soon. Obviously, they found out afterwards that he'd be put on IR for a few weeks. But I think for that reason, Kareem Hunt, even though maybe some Dearness Johnson concerns, still should project to see a vast, vast majority of the carries out of the backfield. And all the targets, frankly, I'd say all the targets, maybe Dontrell Hillier picks up one, two, I'm not sure. But Kareem Hunt, I have projected as one of the premier bell cow backs this week. I like that. I like that a lot. And it projects to be a little bit sneaky in this spot, too. So answer me this. We have a lot of running backs we're interested in targeting, a lot that are coming with decent ownership. Is there a running back that's maybe carrying some ownership that you think is a particularly good fade this week? Yeah, we talked about Mike Davis. Another one I have, David Johnson. We saw Duke Johnson come back and take somewhat of a role, and David Johnson has just been wholly inefficient. Maybe that's a product of his offense. So I, I guess you could say that as his offense performs better against Jacksonville, maybe that's a scenario where David Johnson gets involved. I'm comfortable making that fade because I think at 6400 the exact same price, James Robinson is just a, a better player. He's got a better receiving role. I would much rather take the – like we have them at the exact same ownership. I would – confidently say the same ownership and the same price i'm taking james robinson all day josh jacobs i don't love i know like he's kind of james robinson that way where he's mostly known as an effective between the tackles player has some receiving upside i just don't love the game environment of his team projected to trail by two touchdowns i'd much rather go to the other side and play some clyder Hilaire, despite the fact that jacobs higher price i believe like relative to the field higher priced on vandal still garnering a decent amount of ownership i'm fine just leaving that ownership on the table yeah, I think Jacobs is a tough sell. He is averaging a ton, a ton of work, but he's only running a route on 42% of Derek Carr dropbacks. If Kansas City gets up big in this game and early, it could be a real problem for Jacobs. One other name I have on here, he's not really a traditional fade like the guys you named because he's very cheap, is Damian Harris for New England, 4,500. You're going to see a couple people go to him. With Damian Harris, it's not so much that I don't think he's a fine play. He's basically playing the Sony Michelle role in a game where New England is favored by almost two scores. However, he's in a three-man rotation, and with Damian Harris, it's more about the opportunity costs. When you play Damian Harris, that takes away another roster spot on your team that can't be Mike Davis. It can't be Clyde edwards Slayer. It can't be a back that you're just more confident in. Any qualms with that idea? Are you comfortable getting to a guy like Harris? Yeah, I'm comfortable with Harris, but I don't mind the, the fate of him either. And like you said, like he saw 17 carries last week, but Rex Burkhead saw 11 as well. He's not just going to run roughshod over his entire backfield. We're still going to see some Rex Burkhead. And if those end up coming at the goal line, 
you know, a Harris 17 for 100 game where he doesn't catch a pass is utterly useless for you. So you do need a certain amount of touchdown projection and Rex Burkhead takes away from that. So I don't mind the Harris fade. And it's not like you're fading a 1% play. Some people are going to be on him and his cheapness probably does lead you to a specific like high price quarterback build. So potentially if you want to pay down a little bit of quarterback, it gives you more freedom to move up from Harris to guys that are more expensive. I have no problem fading Harris at his, you know, good price tag, but he's not a lock or anything. He's not the free square by any means. Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm glad we're in agreement there. Let's talk wide receivers. On FanDuel specifically, we're getting a ton of ownership in just a couple games. So in our top six owned players on FanDuel, we have three Cowboys and two Panthers at the wide receiver position. The top six owned wide receivers include Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, D.J. Moore, and Robbie Anderson. What do we make of this, Kyle? Like, I this is something we've seen the last two weeks now. I was more inclined to fade the Dallas side when we had the three wide receivers in the top ownership, and it really burnt me. So what do we make of this situation? Yeah, I still think it's okay to play some of these chalky receivers, although at that point I probably am looking to make multiple pivots off of our chalky running backs to get, like, both, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Miles Sanders, or, you know, Joe Mixon, Jonathan Taylor, mixing up these bell cow backs that aren't going to have my ownership because their spots aren't perfect. No doubt, you know, you don't love facing Pittsburgh's defense. But if I am playing, you know, an Amari, CeeDee Lamb, Dak stack, I can't be eating that chocolate running back. I am just giving myself zero leverage. I don't mind playing them. I would say my only caveat is for any of Amari Cooper, DJ Moore. I think you should probably even make this argument with Will Fuller. If you're playing them, you kind of have to either double stack or find a really weird bring back because I like everybody, like my mother has never seen football in her life and she would love to stack Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. It's just going to be so chalky that I don't know you gain any leverage by running a single stack of any of DJ Moore, Teddy Bridgewater, Will Fuller, Sean Watson, or Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. So how do you feel about trying to get off of that? Not by fading Amari Cooper, but by going, you know, Amari Cooper, Dalton Schultz and golden Tate or something like that in your Dak Prescott stacks. I I think that is a good way to differentiate yourself. And we talked about this a lot, but it's not necessarily the individual ownership of every single player in your lineup, but thinking about your lineup as a whole, how are you making that lineup unique? It is okay to eat chalk at some spots and we don't want to play 1% plays just for the sake of playing 1% plays. We want to feel the competitive lineup overall. So you make really good points of thinking about how to navigate this chalk and maybe getting different in another way. And I like that call a lot. And for the record, I'm not trying to throw shade on any of these Dallas or Carolina wide receivers. If we look to a guy, let's use CeeDee Lamb, for example. CeeDee Lamb has a 14.7% target share. That is over 10% less than Marquise Brown. But CeeDee Lamb has more targets. Like, how absurd is that that CeeDee Lamb has a 14.7% target share? Marquise Brown is at 265 but CeeDee Lamb has more targets. There's just so, yeah. so, so much for these Dallas receivers that it is hard to fade them. So I don't mind picking and choosing the spot there. Anything else to add on these guys? What do we, maybe we should touch on the Carolina receivers too, because they're kind of in the same boat. Yeah, it's the same way. And even though you're not paying as much for Teddy Bridgewater, I'm not as concerned with how like, you know, playing Amari, like Dak needs to throw, let's say Dak needs to throw probably three to four touchdowns to make the GPP winning line. That basically guarantees that Amari Cooper and one of Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, or like Dalton Schultz, could even be Zeke. One of those guys, plus Amari Cooper, would be my guess, but I guess it could be other guys. Amari Cooper being the leading receiver is who I start my stacks with. It guarantees that two guys get in the optimal lineup. 
Teddy Bridgewater isn't as expensive, so you could argue that Teddy Bridgewater only needs two to three scores. If you get a double score from DJ Moore, it's not guaranteed that a guy like Robbie Anderson catches that other score. But it still leaves me at the problem where I am going so vanilla with my stack that everyone is going to have that, that, you know, you could look at it and say 10% of the field potentially could have that stack. I still need to get more difference, despite the fact that I think the correlation tapers off or the necessity of the correlation tapers off as you go with a cheaper quarterback. It doesn't change the fact that TJ Moore to Teddy Bridgewater is going to be so common. So I think, interestingly, you could do DJ Moore to Mike Davis to Teddy Bridgewater. You could go with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, or you could leave DJ Moore off the table. I'm just looking at him and using his, him as an example. I think both in this scenario and the Dallas scenario, the tight ends are interesting. I think Ian Thomas is an interesting pivot for your Teddy Bridgewater stacks. Oh man, Ian Thomas has been a guy I've been on for a while, but let's save that for the tight end talk. As we talk about this wide receiver position and we talk about navigating chalk, it seems that you and I are in agreement that it's okay to eat some of these Dallas guys. And in fact, you probably want to just given what's happened in the first couple of weeks, but you need to be unique around them in some fashion or another, which brings me to our leverage plays at wide receiver. One guy I do like in particular is Marquise Brown, and I'm really interested to hear what you think on Marquise. He has great market share numbers. Now, the Ravens have been in a lot of blowouts. They've been on the winning end of three of these, and they've been on the receiving end of that blowout against the Chiefs. Marquise Brown, with his 26.5% target share, has accounted for six, 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 and eight targets. Again, a C.D. Lamb who has a 14.5% target share has more targets than that. Can you look to Marquise Brown here and hope that these, I mean, the Ravens maybe pass more, maybe they're in a competitive game against Cincinnati and use him for leverage? Yeah, I think uh, as we were talking about it, I was scrolling down our ownership and I scroll and I scroll and I scroll and eventually I get to Marquise Brown at, you know, right around 5%. I know, so I see this on Twitter a lot. People say like, you know, it was a few weeks ago when Aaron Jones had a blow up spot. Like, you know, if you're a GPP player and you didn't think Aaron Jones was a good play, maybe you should just quit playing GPPs. And like that, like I understand the process that he was even in hind, like, you know, factoring in hindsight, he was a good play that week. And that has happened multiple times where looking back, you can say it's pretty obvious that a guy like Joe Mixon getting the volume he gets was going to blow up at some point. And you should just be on him until he blows up and capitalize heavily. It does, I think, overstate. It's a little braggadocious, overstates the confidence you can have in any play, but I get the sentiments, and I'm going to make that statement this week. You should be, if you're a GPP player, you should be getting Marquise Brown into your lineups. Like you said, the air yard share is incredible. It's a top five air yard share, I believe a top 10 or 20 target share. They're coming from Lamar Jackson, who hasn't looked as good as he hasn't looked last year, but he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. It has one of the better deep balls in the league. And they're facing a team that should just face very, like should give Marquise Brown very little resistance going deep. So I think Marquise Brown is one of the best pivots. One other one I want to bring up, you have Deontay Johnson here, Juju Smith-Schuster as well. Like guys coming in at less than 5%, Juju is less than 1%. Man, I have not really made it a staple of my game to play these like middling quarterbacks because you've needed Dak, Russell, uh, Josh Allen to win essentially. But I am not, you know, I see the ownership and I am not afraid to get a little bit of exposure to a Juju, Deontay and Ben Roethlisberger stack. You can run it back with Miles Sanders. All of these things sound quite appealing in theory until that game is like 17 to 14. (laughs) Dude, I'm telling you, the place for game looks good as long as we get a little, little bit of regression in defensive efficiency. We could see a shootout here. It's not, this is not a high likelihood scenario. So take this for what it's worth. What I will say is if you do run 150 or whatever your your preferred lineup builds are, say it's even a 20 max and you throw in one Ben Roethlisberger stack, you're going to be over the field on this stack. 
none of these guys are coming in with any sort of ownership. Deontay Johnson in particular, sub 5%, and he's a guy that has a 23% target share. And that includes a game where he only had two targets because he suffered a concussion and had to leave the game. So Deontay Johnson, who is significantly cheaper than Juju, and he's not exactly, I don't know how to put this. I wouldn't say Juju's the bona fide wide receiver one there. I think there's a case uh. to be made that Deontay could be overtaking him. We don't know this for sure. A small sample size. seems like you disagree with that, but it's at least worth talking about, I think. No, no, no. I was saying, no, we're definitely not sure Juju is the number one there. And it's sad because okay. I love Juju. No, yeah, it's sad because I love Juju, but like I can't, you know, look in the face of, especially we saw Deontay Johnson, like you said, it was a concussion, but also the toe injury that pulled him out of the last game they played. Going into that, like he was smashing Juju in terms of targets and air yards because Deontay wasn't running super deep. Juju had like a six eight on or five eight on. So I love Juju, but no, we cannot say with any certainty that Juju is the number one receiver. If anything, the data this year would tell you it's a small sample. Obviously, it's a sample of like two games and then half a game, then Deontay Johnson doesn't play. But in a small sample, Deontay Johnson looks like this team's number one receiver. And my best ball shares are hurt by that, but I can pivot those with my DFS shares. So, Oh, man. Yeah, it's the same with me, too. But, you know, that's okay. We're going to take this on a week-by-week approach with DFS and everything is going to be fine. This week, I like Deontay Johnson. As far as fades at the wide receiver position, I think there's a case to be made for a lot of players kind of in this middle tier, not only middle tier price, but middle tier in ownership. We're seeing players like Cooper Cup, who are arguably the number one on their team. I think there's a case to be made for Woods there. Still, Cooper Cup is 7,200 on FanDuel. He has a nice 24% target share. But again, he's in a situation similar to Marquise Brown, where this team is so run heavy that we're just not seeing the huge target volume for Cooper Cup on a week-to-week basis. This particular game against Washington, the Rams are favored by eight and a half points, which lends itself to the run game. And the total's low at 45 and a half points. So I really question the ceiling on a player like Cooper Cup, which makes him a strong fade for me in particular. Is there anyone else you're looking to is a, in a fade spot this week? Yeah, I think that is probably one of the absolute best fades. And on the other side of the ball, Terry McLaurin, he's cheap, but like Kyle Allen, come on, man. I get Dwayne Haskins was bad, but Kyle Allen... I don't have any confidence in saying he's any better. This is a low total spot, both in terms of the game and the implied team total for Washington. This Rams defense has played, you know, fairly well through a few weeks. They have Jalen Ramsey. I just can't find myself going to Terry McLaurin when I can get Marquise Brown for lower ownership and lower price. Like that to me is a pivot you should make every single time. I don't even mind. Like I would rather play Joe Burrow as my quarterback running into an even more stout defense because at the end of the day, I'm much more confident in the quarterback controlling the outcome of a game than a defense. I have I have confidence that Kyle Allen won't be able to control the outcome of the game except if he turns the ball over and he controls it the wrong direction. So for me, I think the even if they're just mediocre quarterbacks, even if you don't love Joe Burrow, I would rather my tether my receivers to Joe Burrow in a bit of a more difficult matchup than ever rely on Kyle Allen helping out in fantasy. You know what? I I do agree with that. And I don't know, man, I'm a little higher on Joe Burrow than I think you are. We like Joe Burrow because he throws the ball about 50 times a game. It's a lot of opportunities for guys like Tyler Boyd, guys like T Higgins. I think it's a little bit sneaky there, Kyle. As we we move over to to the tight end position, one last note on tonight's showdown contest. Guys, we have a giveaway at Osmo.com. If you head over to the pinned tweet on Twitter, the Twitter account is at Osmo underscore com. You can enter a really nice giveaway here. You can win an NFL plus yearly pass. It's a $250 value and it's simple. All you have to do to do to get a part of this 
is pick the winner between Nick Foles and Tom Brady. Who will have more passing yards tonight? You leave your answer in a reply. You must follow the account. One random winner will be selected among the correct guesses, and you're going to win a free year of Osmo plus NFL. You're going to get all of the tools that Alex Baker Osmo himself builds. All you have to do is follow the Twitter account, pick the winner, and follow the instructions on the pinned tweet. So make sure to check that out. A really nice giveaway. We're doing a ton of fun stuff for these FanDuel and DraftKings single-game contests. Make sure you check out the free content as well. Looking at the tight end position, Kyle, there's a big difference again here between DraftKings and FanDuel. DraftKings, we're seeing most of the ownership concentrated between two players in Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey. On FanDuel, we have George Kittle in the mix here too. Tight end is a lot flatter at on FanDuel specifically. Instead of it all being focused on those two tight ends, we have, you know, George Kittle, Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, even an Evan Ingram in a relatively flat ownership group there. What do we make of the tight end position overall in the context of the FanDuel slate? Yeah, assumingly it's because of the George Kittle price tag, 7,100 relative to Travis Kelsey is actually a, a discount worth considering. And it seems like versus the DraftKings uh, ownership projections, we essentially chopped off 6% from Travis Kelsey, chopped off 6% from Darren Waller, pulled something from somewhere else and gave it all to George Kittle because he's coming in quite popular for me. I'm not awfully considering going up to George Kittle and Darren Waller because I don't love their game environments as much. With Travis Kelsey, I actually think, at least in terms of like his team's total, they have a massive, massive team total. I think it's north of 34 points for their Chiefs implied team total. He needs, if he scores two of those touchdowns, it doesn't guarantee that Patrick Mahomes is in the optimal lineup, but it does guarantee that Travis Kelsey is there. I'm not sure I see the multi-touchdown upside with either of Darren Waller or George Kittle. I actually see that with Travis Kelsey, and you don't have to eat the highest-owned player at the position on the slate. It is still quite expensive, and it doesn't limit it does limit what you can do elsewhere. But if the top three, if we're going to refer to them as that, I, I think I have to be considering Travis Kelsey as one of my favorites. Although Mark Andrews up in that price range as well is an interesting run back in those Joe Burrow stacks. And I know I rag on Burrow, but he's a guy I will definitely have exposure to because although he hasn't been efficient to this point for the most part. Efficiency is fluky, but those passing numbers are probably not going to be fluky. There's almost no scenario in which they don't just throw the ball a ton. So frankly, I'd probably rather look to guys like Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey, where I think their teams are more capable of putting up touchdowns than I think, you know, George Kittle and either a hobbled Jimmy Garoppolo or CJ Beathard or Darren Waller and Derek Carr are able to. I just don't see the touchdowns coming from them. And on FanDuel, whereas like George Kittle's 15 catches are awesome, I'm really looking for a touchdown or two from my tight ends. And I think you could just as easily get that from Evan Ingram or Travis Kelsey. Yeah. For what it's worth, I'm not, I don't think I'm as down on Kittle as you are. I do like the little gap you have in pricing here, but again, FanDuel is a little bit softer in price generally. So it's not like that $700 is going to take you to get up to Kelsey is going to get you a ton elsewhere, depending on your roster construction. Of course, I am interested in Kelsey for sure. For all the reasons you mentioned, you just do not see 35 point implied team totals in NFL games. Someone is going to absolutely blow up for this Kansas City Chiefs team, and now they're all garnering high ownership here. I'm more willing to eat the chalk at the tight end position than some others just because we know Travis Kelsey is going to get some volume that will actually set him apart for most of the tight ends. And our leverage plays, I mean, we have guys like Eric Ebron, Hayden Hurst, Ian Thomas. None of them are seeing the volume that Travis Kelsey is. So I think it is warranted to eat a little bit of ownership at this position given the overall construction in your rosters. As we look at some low-owned plays and some leverage spots, is there anyone that sticks out to you at the tight end position that maybe could see volume that could rival Kelsey or an Ingram or a Waller or Kittle? 
Yeah, so I'm looking at our ownership now, and once you get off of the top four owned guys, it goes Evan Ingram at 14%, and there's a pretty significant drop-off to just under 7% for Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz running, like getting more targets and running a ton of routes than Michael Gallup, like getting more targets at least, and I believe his route numbers are better as well. So I actually think that Dalton Schultz, despite being technically in the top five, there is a pretty significant tier break between Evan Ingram at four and then Dalton Schultz at five, and it allows you to, again, tap into an awesome game that, you know, any game that features Dallas is going to be awesome. So I don't think that's a terrible play. I think Dalton Schultz, despite being, you know, technically top five in ownership is really not top five in the way we talk about it at other positions. His ownership is going to be very relatively tampered compared to a Darren Waller, but you still get access to an awesome game and it makes your DAC stacks, especially if that's your route you're going, it really does help your DAC DAC stacks get different. So I think if you're playing DAC or not, you have to have some consideration on Dalton Schultz. Yeah, I, I still think punting at tight end a little bit is viable. There's, on FanDuel specifically, again, we're not seeing the wide range in prices that we see on DraftKings. So, you know, going from a Kittle down to even someone near the min price like Ian Thomas isn't as wide of a gap as it is on DraftKings, which lends me more to paying up on this specific platform. As far as some of the players that we could potentially get leverage on, I think there's some sneaky plays in a guy like Eric Ebron. He's 5,100. So again, he's just a little bit cheaper than Evan Ingram. What we really like about a player like Eric Ebron is he's not even 1% owned in our projections. So you're getting immense, immense leverage here. He's a a large field tournament play, in my opinion. Ran a route on 79% of Ben Roethlisberger's dropbacks in week three. He now has two straight weeks over 73% of the routes run. I think he could be an option here as a leverage play. You mentioned Dalton Schultz, who I do like as well. Anyone else you'd take a look at? Yeah, so I'll let you talk about why you like him just as a philosophy play, the same reason, you know, Ian Thomas. I think Ian Thomas is a very solid play for the same reason as Dalton Schultz. It is very viable, but it gets you off of the chalky Teddy Bridgewater stack. And Ian Thomas, you talked about it. How often can you find guys who are like starting tight ends in games with, at least for Ian Thomas, an incredible environment that are going to be owned by like, you know, a handful of people in a tournament with 100,000 people's ownership is well, well, well under 1%. He's cheap. He's in a great game environment. And it seems like his success has come not at the expense of the other receivers, but it's probably just Curtis Samuel gets taken off the field. Or maybe in this case, Curtis Samuel shifts a few plays to running back. But it seems like he can outproduce a guy like Curtis Samuel and be that second stacking option with your Teddy Bridgewater stacks. It does seem to be quite popular. I think if you're playing Teddy, you really have to consider going with Ian Thomas. I like Ian Thomas. He's cheap. He's someone that was hurt at the beginning of the year, which really hurt his role in the offense. We've slowly seen him kind of regain his footing as the starting tight end. He had five targets in their previous game, and now he's running around in 69% of Teddy Bridgewater dropbacks. Just for your reference, that's more routes than a guy like Tyler Higby. That's more routes than Chris Herndon. That's more routes than Jonu Smith, who are all more expensive and all project for more ownership. And they're all unquestionable roles. So, yeah, I'm okay with getting Ian Thomas in some stacks. Again, he's so low owned that you don't have to really go way over the field to get a nice share of Ian Thomas. But as we we talk about some of these guys that Ian Thomas is running more routes than, it brings me to fades. And I, I think there's a couple of pretty clear fades. Tyler Higby at his price, he's not going to be owned. And people are starting to figure out Tyler Higby's not actually running a ton of routes. He's being used a lot as a blocker. And the production he's had to this point in the year is mainly fueled by touchdown production. John Smith was another guy I was really excited to talk about in this range because he's actually carrying some ownership, but it doesn't appear that we're going to get this Titans game. So I'll give you the floor. Any tight ends you're looking at fading? 
Yeah, we talked about it. You can only eat so much chalk. I'm probably specifically off of Darren Waller chalk, less so off of the George Kittle chalk. I actually get like George Kittle is actually, you know, incredible, probably the best tight end in the NFL, probably going to see as many or more targets than Darren Waller in a better spot. I would, I mean, his team probably has a, a better chance at putting up points than I would say Derek Carr does against a Kansas City defense. It's played quite well. So I'll be off Darren Waller. I'll be under the field, but probably not, you know, completely zero on George Kittle. I think those high price guys, just if I'm playing high price, I'm probably pivoting a lot to Kelsey. I think that's a great move. I, for what it's worth, I'm okay with a lot of tight ends in that price range. Before we get to some bold calls, guys, there's over 100 of you in the chat. Thank you for watching our FanDuel-specific show. If you could hit that thumbs up button, that is the best way to support Kyle and myself and the entire Osmo team. It helps us out a ton. Thank you if you've done that. As we get to some bold calls, Kyle, so one of my bold calls right off the top here, I am going to say that this Dak Prescott stack, I'm going to say it quietly because I don't want everyone to hear me if this comes true again. It's not going to win the Millie Maker this week. We're going to have someone other than Dak in the Cowboys. And I think a sneaky spot could be Pittsburgh and Philly. I think we're going to go with one of these low-owned players, whether it's a Deontay Johnson, a Juju Smith-Schuster, or Eric Ebron. Not sure the whole stack gets in there, but I do think a couple of these guys are in really nice spots. And I think it's a low-owned stack that does take down the Millie this week. What are you looking at for some bold calls, some players in some sneaky spots this week? Yeah, I've got a similar one, another game that maybe not as appealing as your, you know, Cowboys games or any of the, if if the Bills would have played the Bills game, but I'm going to say Joe Burrow goes in, takes down Baltimore, pulls off the upset win, and he, with a double stack and run it back with Marquise Brown, is the Millie Maker winning lineup for, you know. My man, I absolutely love that call. And the best part about it is it's not expensive. I We missed Tyler Boyd earlier. He was someone I wanted to talk about. He's not very expensive. He's 6K. And then we have the likes of A.J. Green and T. Higgins. If you decide to go back to A.J. Green, I won't fault you. But T. Higgins at the same price range. Both of these guys, all three of them really are seeing immense target volume. Tyler Boyd in particular, after his dud in week one where he just had five targets, he's seen eight, 13, and eight targets. Again, this Baltimore defense has given up two 300-yard passing games consecutively, one of which was to Patrick Mahomes, one of which was to Dwayne Haskins. So I think there is a lot of viability in the Cincinnati stack, particularly with Joe Burrow throwing the ball a ton. Before we get out of here, with this stack, I'm curious, what do you think about Drew Sample? Yeah, so he's a guy actually I wish we would have talked about, but now we get a chance to, is that he's still, like, he's sort of Dalton Schultz without the production. He's on playing on a team that generally you would want to target all things held equal because they run a ton of passing plays. He's been on the field for a majority of the receiving down snaps. He just hasn't, like, he's running routes. He just hasn't gotten a look since that one first blow-up spot, which he wasn't even the starter that week. I don't think he's a terrible play, and much like we talk about with you know Ian Thomas or, or, or Dalton Schultz, these are spots you want to target if you can get a starting guy who's going to be on the field his touchdown equity seems pretty solid and he could have a, like not a multi-catch game, you know, five, six, seven catch game. If things break right for him, I think he's probably a low like median projection play, but his ceiling is quite good for being a low, like, you know, low ownership, low price type of play. Yeah, man. I mean, he's 4,600 on FanDuel. He is not expensive whatsoever. And he kind of fits that mold. The trend we've been seeing a lot on the DFS platforms to start the year is that you don't necessarily need the highest price tight end to win these tournaments. Now that could be a function of not having Travis Kelsey on the main slate, missing guys like George Kittle due to injury. But at the same time, if you can jam in some other studs in your lineup and then play a guy like Drew Sample, and if he gets in the end zone, it just helps the overall construction of your roster a little bit there. Could be something to consider. But that will do it for Kyle and myself today. 
Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski. He is at Kyle Tweets here. Of course, we have an awesome podcast network at Osmo. Anywhere you can find podcasts, we are live there. If you can never catch the shows live, feel free to check those out. Otherwise, we'll be back again next week with more FanDuel content. Kyle, I believe you're live tonight with the Showdown pregame show. Yes, I will be on live before lock uh, with with the man himself, Baker, Alex Osmo Baker. So check that out. Get all the good get all the good stuff before we go live for another fun showdown content. I think it's a great spot too. So check that out. Uh, Seven o'clock, bro. Probably. All right, guys. We'll catch you again next week. Have a good one, everyone.